0: An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How is it going, Chad?
1: It is going okay, Katie. How about you?
0: Oh, pretty good. Just um, enjoying some lovely unexpected spring weather today. It was 65. In New York after our miserable (laughs) I think it was the last time I I spoke to you actually. It was like five degrees. So everyone's sick, myself included. Keeps us on our toes, I guess.
1: Yeah. And it is currently seventy-three degrees in Dallas. Uh Happy February. I'm yeah, I'm not loving it. I think we're supposed to get a cold front coming in Thursday night. Uh so it'll be a little bit cooler, which is nice because it is February, but we'll see what happens.
0: Well, today we are discussing a really, really excellent episode. I mean, two great episodes, but one specifically. But before we get to that, we have a Facebook recommendation from Colin. Thank you so much, Colin, for reaching out on Facebook. And we have new emails from Greg and Adam to our email, to our podcast email. So thank you all for reaching out. We appreciate um, any contact from any of our listeners, really. And introducing now one of the most famous, probably, episodes of The Office is Threat Level Midnight. It aired February 17th, 2011, was directed by Tucker Gates, and written by B.J. Novak.
1: After many years of writing, filming, refilming, and editing, Michael has finally finished his movie Threat Level Midnight, starring himself and featuring the many familiar faces of The Office, past and present. As he begins to screen the movie, he eagerly awaits everyone's reactions, but none more than Holly's.
0: So the setup for our discussion on this episode is going to be a little bit different, I guess, because we should probably go over a recap of what the film is. There is a little bit of storyline, as you just mentioned, outside of the film, but the vast majority of this episode is Threat Level Midnight, which thank goodness, because it's incredible. (laughs) Um, I don't care what anyone says. It's incredible. (laughs) So maybe we should talk about, I don't know, how do you want to do this?
1: Uh, Let's talk about Michael uh, outside of the film to start with. So. He has been working on this for a long time. He says 11 years total. Uh, that's three years writing, one year shooting, four years reshooting, and then two years editing. 10, 11 years he's been working on this. And he is so proud of it to the point that uh, a few years back, he showed a sort of work in progress version and everyone laughed because they thought it was a comedy. And he was so offended by the notion that they, they thought his not comedy movie was a comedy uh, that he turned it off. And so now, that it's actually finished, and he's been working on it for so long, he is just so hyper aware of everyone's reactions to it, and there comes a point at one part in the episode where Jim starts chuckling at something, uh, and he says, okay, that's it, I gotta turn it off, because again, it's not a comedy, you shouldn't be laughing this way, and even though he depends a lot on everybody else's reactions, as I alluded to in the summary, he's really most eager to see what Holly's reaction is going to be.
0: He's very cautious of showing this at all. Um, in fact, according to Aaron, Michael's only going show to the, show the movie to people if they're dying to see it. It's like, okay, I have this thing, but you got to show me that you really want to see it before I, before I do this. So they all pile in the conference room. Everyone's so excited. Now Holly, unlike I think a lot of the people of The Office, Holly takes Michael seriously. I mean, she's in love with him. She thinks he's great. And so why wouldn't he make a great movie? she's entertained enough. It's okay. It's fun. But she's not wowed. She's not laughing when people are laughing. She's not, you know, gasping when people are gasping. Of course, the employees of the office are laughing and gasping because it's them and they did this together and they recognize that it's not going to be a blockbuster, you know, multimillion dollar film. They understand Michael's limits. Holly, I don't think she knows what to expect going into this, and she's not blown away. And as you said, at that one point when when Jim loses his cool and starts laughing, between that and Holly not outwardly loving it, that's it. Films off. He storms away.
1: He confronts her about it, too, and she doesn't understand exactly why he, it's so important to him. And he says, you know, this has been my dream for 11 years. She says, it's your dream? You haven't mentioned it in all the time I've ever known you. Uh, which has been several years at this point, even though they've only recently started dating. But you think a dream is something that you would bring up pretty early in your conversation if you're doing anything seriously with somebody. So it's not necessarily fair of Michael to expect Holly to think so much of it, because he it's only this day that he has started to hype it up. It's only today that he even reveals that it's a thing. And so how seriously can she take him when it hasn't apparently been important enough to him for him to mention it unless he was trying to save it as a surprise. I mean, I I just don't understand what Michael's problem is exactly. Is he having trouble maybe letting go of something that he's put so much effort into? What do you think?
0: I think it's more like he has worked so hard on this and Holly, who loves him, doesn't understand this movie. How can she love him? You know, it's it's like this movie is me. This is my baby, you know, and, and he's worked so hard on this. And how could Holly not love it? I think that's sort of where he's coming from. This is essentially my my discussion topic. Um, well, yeah, we're, no, it's not. We're, we're skirting around it. But, um, so I don't want to say too much about it. But yeah, I think she's, I think it's just so important to him that, that she does love it. And in fact, when he storms out of the room, everyone apologizes at first jim specifically for laughing and they want the movie back on and and michael says well i mean should i put it back on and 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 everyone's reassuring michael that they do love it the only person who doesn't reassure him is holly so the movie stays off and michael storms out of the office or storms out of the conference room saying it's not good enough it's holly's approval i think that he's seeking more than anyone else's
1: that's fair i i i agree i think that he he thought his sense of humor was sort of, or maybe not even sense of humor, since he is making a serious film in his eyes. He he thinks that whatever he endeavors to accomplish, he wants Holly to approve of it. And if it's not up to her standard, then it's not up to his standard. Right. So I, I can understand after a decade of work on this, that that would upset him. He is angry with her, or maybe he's angry with himself. And despite that anger with Holly or with himself, whatever it is, he, he does eventually go back to the conference room and, and he has a, he has his talking head first where he talks about being a Woody Allen fan. We can go more into that in the funny moments, but the point is don't listen to your critics, listen to your fans. And so he decides, okay, everybody else was enjoying it. So we're going to watch the movie. And after resuming the movie, he is viewing it through a completely different lens. And I think that lens or like the breaking of the rose colored glasses, whatever you want to call it, it shows him that he doesn't have to take it so seriously and that, as Holly said when he asked her what she thought, the real fun of the movie was in making it with friends and working together to collaborate on something like this. But ultimately, it's not more important to Michael than Holly is to him. And so he learns to laugh at the movie uh, through that this new lens that Holly is sort of gifted to him by saying, I matter in your life. and. The movie can matter too, but where's the priority here?
0: He starts bashing his own film at this point. Holly's not next to him and she doesn't support, not 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 that he doesn't support the film, but she doesn't get it. And so at this point, he doesn't either. I think he's so closely tied to her that they kind of share a brain at this point. So he leaves the conference room and Holly is waiting outside immediately, waiting to talk to him. And she tells him she kind of changed her mind. She said, "No, it, it it is really good." And he says, "No, no it's not." But people are liking it. Let's go watch. And so they they all finished the movie together.
1: I appreciate that they both try and change their minds for the sake of the other person. Mm-hmm. So even though Holly clearly wasn't enjoying the film, she tries to pretend there towards the end that she really did and be apologetic to Michael just to sort of spare his feelings. But at that point he's already moved past his feelings and says, no, it's okay. You were right. I'm with you now. And so either way, they were both trying to sort of self-adjust so that they aligned with each other.
0: And I have to say that this is probably such a huge moment for Michael, because this is 11 years of work, and he's dated this woman for almost no time at all. And it took, what, half an hour for him to be mad at her, get over it. And now his film isn't important to him. Holly's important to him. Mm -hmm. That's, huge that's so huge we've heard about threat level midnight for seasons Mm. um maybe not by the name but as a concept we've heard about it for years at this point so the fact that he would just if she asked him to toss it i think he would toss it you know what i mean yeah and he's like okay this doesn't matter you're you're what's important so i think that's such a huge moment for him
1: well that was going to be the next thing i wanted to mention anyways uh in regards to discussion about actual like episode content not the movie itself I love how everyone is excited to see this because we have known about Threat Level Midnight for so long. That was season two, episode seven. So episode 13 of the show that has 201 episodes. That's when we found out about this movie. And now here we are five seasons later, finally getting to see it come to fruition. And so even though we've only had a couple of vague references to it, uh, this is the first that we've seen or learned that it was actually filmed and it was using people from the office over the course of what we've seen from the show so far. So we have familiar faces uh, from Jan, Helene, Karen, Packer, Roy, uh, Troy, the guy that Ryan hangs out with in New York. And even uh, Pepperoni Tony makes an appearance, despite his short tenure at the office. So it's really cool to have this sort of uh, flashback to simpler times. I don't know if simpler times is the right word, but you know what I mean, the... the the
0: Nostalgic. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's nostalgic. It's going back to the 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 old stuff. And I just love that everybody is so happy now to see the final product, even if it's sort of to laugh at their own expense in certain ways. they they're just so happy to see it. And Pam is very careful at the beginning of the episode to warn everybody if we really want to watch this, we have to not make any comments. We have to not make any uh, we can't we can't laugh at it we have to consider Michael's feelings here so that we can see the whole movie. And so they're, they're being really careful to not show uh, that they think it's anything less than the masterpiece Michael thinks it is.
0: They get a lot of the way through the movie before Jim just can't hold it together anymore. <laughs> and I don't blame him. It's in a particularly um comedic part of this not comedic movie, apparently. <laughs> it is very comedic, but it's not intended to be.
1: Quick question, in regards to how Michael brought up the screenplay to the office or they brought it up with him? I I wanted to sort of fantasize about how this happened because remember, they found the script while Michael was out at Chili's with Jan and Christian, I think his name was.
0: Yeah, Christian. This was the Dwigged
1: storyline. And so Mm -hmm. they've known about this for a long time. We don't know when they started filming. Do you think that they brought up the screenplay to Michael or do you think that he eventually brought it up to them when he felt like he was at a point where he wanted to start filming? And how do you think the other sort of reacted? Do you have any ideas about that?
0: Um, I hadn't thought about that.
1: Like, I, I had this sort of fantasy where maybe Michael asks them about it. Like, hey, I have this movie that I finished writing. Do you want to film it with me? And they're like, what? You have a movie? Yeah. We had no idea.
0: <laughs> I think he probably would have been more candid with maybe Dwight and Jim and maybe even Ryan so i'm i I'm thinking that some people knew about it ahead of time
1: mm-hmm. i
0: I don't know, I don't know. I hadn't thought about but
1: I don't know. I just thought it was a fun thing to consider
0: yeah uh i I tend to agree with you. I think he probably approached them because of course, who else would film it with him but his very best friends. So
1: yeah, imagine Jim's excitement when Michael oh. finally brings it up to everybody and he's like, "Oh, snap, we're getting to go much deeper into this than we ever expected to." Oh, that'd be so fun. And I get to play the villain, (laughs) yes.
0: So this is Threat Level Midnight. Michael Skarn, played by Michael Scott, a secret agent, is pulled out of retirement when the president, played by Daryl, sends him on a mission to stop his nemesis, Goldenface, Jim, from blowing up the NHL All-Star game. Skarn learns to play hockey from Cherokee Jack, Creed, in order to go undercover and play during the game. It is then revealed that the president was teamed up with Golden Face all along. So now Scarn is a wanted man. He visits a bar to talk to his bartender friend Billy, Andy, who cheers him up by playing Michael Scarn's signature song and dance, The Scarn, And the whole bar dances along. Now that Scarn's confidence is back, he can play in the All-Star Game. His confidence is shaken again, though, when he learns that his mentor, Cherokee Jack, has died. As the game is about to end, though, Cherokee Jack returns to Scarn in a vision and tells Michael Scarn to take all of his frustration out on the puck. So Scarn does, and the puck flies across the rink out of Madison Square Garden into outer space, hits a satellite, returns and falls into Goldenface's lap. The bomb is of course, in the puck and explodes, killing Goldenface.
1: Masterpiece
0: That's a masterpiece, I mean
1: <laughs>
0: how could that? not be a
1: comedy (laughs) it should be stated there is an extended full version of the movie on the dvd i haven't watched it yet i haven't either but maybe we should and talk about it on the podcast sometime Uh, maybe its own like standalone bonus episode or something for everybody yeah
0: that'd be great
1: because i'm excited to see the full thing uncut and just have a good laugh at it that sounds great well i mean that's all the the serious stuff to talk about so (laughs) now that we've gotten gotten the plot summary of the movie itself let's dive into what's exactly so funny about it The very first thing I wanted to point out, because, of course, I want to point this out, there are multiple Billy Joel songs in the movie. And fun fact, in the the commentary, they mentioned that at one point they considered an all-Billy Joel soundtrack, and I can only imagine how glorious that would have been.
0: (laughs) Of course I thought of you.
1: (laughs) But there are two songs, actually, that are heard. The first is Pressure uh, by Billy Joel. We hear a very, very short snippet at the very beginning but then we hear it again during the race scene of a longer version and during the training scene when Michael or Scarn is ice skating and learning to to play hockey by mopping the ice he is playing the song running on ice which Michael 100% only chose because skating running on ice the title connotation but that song is not even remotely about running on literal ice ice
0: skating <laughs> my first bullet point just says Of course, Stanley narrates. Of
1: course. (laughs)
0: Like, of course, A, he wouldn't want to be in the film, and B, he sounds like an old, wise black man. Yeah. (laughs) And that's exactly what Michael would want. So, of course, Stanley narrates.
1: Yeah, it's like their their discount Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I I thought it was so funny that they put the full address for the White House, (laughs) and it's not just like, Sixteen Hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. They put the full address, the city, the county, D.C. the the zip code. <laughs> it is all there. It's like you could just say the White House, and you're you're fine. And Michael. it's every
0: time. <laughs> it's every time that they visit the White House. That's the the screen that pops up, and you don't even need to say the White House. We all know what the White House is. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're we're pretty clear.
0: Michael is married to Catherine Zeta-Jones, or Catherine Um, (laughs) Zeta-Scarn. Unfortunately, of course, Catherine has been murdered, which is the crux of this whole Mm -hmm. film, really. It's what motivates him to do it.
1: And that's a a plot detail that stuck around from the client when they were first reading the screenplay as he was married to Catherine Zeta-Jones, I Mm -hmm. I think. Um, I think
0: that's right, yeah.
1: Now, I I think it is hysterical that Dwight thought he was playing an android character. (laughs) And he wanted to use a robotic voice. But Michael told him that he wanted him to appear more like an advanced android. And then Michael has his own talking head saying, Dwight wasn't playing a robot. (laughs) Like I want him to look like an android and talk like an android because he wasn't a robot at all. So whatever works in Dwight's fantasy to make him appear more human works for me. Then later, Skarn spills like a tea or a coffee on Dwight's character, whose name is Samuel Chang. And Dwight improved malfunctioning because he thought he was a robot and Michael cut the scene out. So Dwight has his talking head after that re- reacting to that. He says, then what was the point of spilling the drink on me? <laughs> and then he, maybe even funnier, by the end of the, the movie, it's revealed, oh, Michael did let him be a robot after all, because he, he put some oil on some like machinery that's sticking out of his back. So there's some back and forth and Michael forgetting things that he edited into the film and stuff like that.
0: Daryl has a comment or a talking head on why he was in this movie at all, and I love this. He says, I gave up a lot of weekends because I thought it would be good for my daughter to see a black man as president, even in a silly movie. What a stupid waste of time. Of course, this aired in 2011. Obama was in term at this time. Mm -hmm. Daryl did not need to waste many weekends to do this. They could have just waited, (laughs) (laughs) and there would have been a real black man in in the presidency.
1: It wasn't too long. (laughs) Uh, there's, a uh, the, the scene where they do the racing to see who gets to be placed on the all-star team it has like a funny, not funny, funny sandwich. And the first funny part is Oscar and Jim are wearing unitards. It's really funny. <laughs> 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 the second not funny thing, the, the meat of the sandwich is when Scarn, after losing the race, goes into the locker room and strangles Oscar's character <laughs> with the American flag. And I know I'm laughing, but it's really not funny. <laughs> and everybody's kind of disturbed while watching it. But then that's finished off by after Oscar's character has been killed, Michael forgot to edit out the part where he blinks post dying.
0: <laughs> and he's like super close to the camera. Yeah, that's he's what like you're right watching. in front of it. Scar and back when he but before that part when he is um deciding whether or not to take the president up on this offer to take down Golden Face. He says, "Okay, heads I do it, tails I don't." Best out of 7. We get to watch all seven coin tosses, which just seems excessive. Mm -hmm. And Michael couldn't, Michael Scott, when he's writing it, couldn't think of a better odds than going heads, tails, heads, tails, (laughs) heads, tails, heads. (laughs) And so that's how the coin flips every time. It just alternates. And of course, it lands on heads and we just have to watch the whole thing. And it takes up way too much time. One coin toss would would have worked just fine.
1: But with exciting music, Katie, it becomes an exciting scene. It does. It does. <laughs> and speaking of the music, in addition to the Billy Joel songs, they also use uh, several songs from the Born Identity soundtrack, which I'm proud to say I recognize without having to like look up that fact. It's very clearly the Born Identity soundtrack, which is really good music, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Janet's jasmine wing song, the fact that she sings a secret message backwards is just absurd. And then he's got the, the tape recorder that he records. He's like, oh, this is obviously backwards. Let me pull it out and then play it backwards. Okay.
0: And <laughs> It's got that big backwards label.
1: Right. Like every tape recorder has.
0: Yeah. There are several plot inconsistencies, which one of which Michael notices, and one is just kind of funny. Narrator slash Stanley says the hockey game was only three days away. And then the next scene, he says, Michael Scarn was quickly becoming one of the hottest hockey players in the country. Well, how?
1: (laughs) Three days, why not? It's
0: only three, it's only three days away. How is, he's having to like sneak into this. Oh, it's just funny. And then the other one, Michael notices the president, as I said in the recap, turns out to be evil, but at the end of the film, he calls Skarn to do another mission and Skarn accepts. And I think it's Andy that says, hey, well, isn't the president evil? Michael says, oh, oh yeah, yeah, he is evil. (laughs) That was dumb.
1: (laughs) There is one of the hostage scenes where Jim decides he's going to kill one of the hostages. And who did Michael decide was going to get killed as a hostage? Toby, of course. One guess. (laughs) And so Jim's character, Golden Face, shoots Toby's character. And there is this multiple cut, very detailed head explosion that is filmed. And it's just kind of gratuitous, to be honest. And everybody, again, sort of cringes away from the screen, just like they did when Oscar's character was killed. We cut to Michael in a talking head, and he says, far and away the most expensive shot of the movie. <laughs> he says, but it was integral to the story.
0: Integral.
1: Integral. And then when Skarn shows up and Golden Face says, uh, ha ha, I killed this hostage. or Skarn says, jokes on you, Golden Face, that man was a wanted animal rapist. <laughs> So he's just trying to, one, he killed Toby, and two, he's making him play this awful criminal character <laughs> who was deserving of death.
0: You mentioned that for Michael Scott, that was the most expensive shot of the film. In the commentary, they mentioned the same thing, that that actually was the most expensive shot of the episode because they had to buy a uh, several dummy heads of Paul Lieberstein, mm-hmm. who plays Toby. So they it was rather expensive. Jim manages to play a prank on Dwight even during the film golden face can't hear the butler when he says something and so dwight has to repeat the line several times <laughs> it's just michael didn't cut that out
1: uh, dwight starts to visibly get frustrated too but then michael cuts in with his line before dwight can dwight can ruin it <laughs> and in that same scene uh, golden face is going to shoot michael scarn and Dwight, Dwight has some sort of impulse where he's like, nope, I got to jump in front of this. Even though it's a fake bullet, I'm going to jump in front of it. Michael says that wasn't scripted. (laughs) Uh, So I I wonder if it was a character choice as Samuel Chang or if maybe Dwight had this weird fear all of a sudden that the gun was actually loaded and he was actually protecting Michael Scott (laughs) from being shot. I don't know which one of those scenarios is funnier.
0: I'm not sure why it has the ability to separate reality from fiction enough to not dive in front of a bullet when it's pointed at Michael. I think that's you know? fair,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: I think it's just, he can't separate that. Pam's mom, Helene, makes an appearance, as you mentioned, but as the sexy nurse, which Pam has to watch. And it's insinuated that there is some nonsense happening. Um, and <laughs> Pam has to watch that with her, her mom and Michael as if she didn't get enough of that in real life. Now she gets to watch it immortalized in film
1: and because she's trying to not upset michael she's like trying to put on the best face she can rather than show how disgusted she is by the inclusion in the film when it is time for the bar scene scarn shows up to the bar and the narrator says it wasn't easy for scarn to admit that he had lost his self-confidence and he hadn't of course he just wasn't using it right now oh good good to know monty python good to know
0: it's just hiding hiding uh, also at the bar, there's a table of bridesmaids that buys Scar and a drink. Uh, several women and Karen is in that group and she has the worst line. She says, ever banged an entire bachelorette party, baby? And then they cut to Karen in real life with a talking head. She goes, Why are you singling my line out like a million <laughs> years later?
1: <laughs> it's so funny that the documentary crew went and tracked down Karen just to <laughs> just approach to her, her about this line
0: it's awful that's why
1: (laughs) well i don't know if that's worse or if jim's earlier line as golden face where he says see i'm gonna lure him here then i kill everybody then i'm gonna dig up scarn's dead wife and i'm gonna hump her real good (laughs) we cut to jim's uh, jim's talking head says i did not love the dialogue or the character i took the role to impress a receptionist who will remain nameless
0: (laughs) of course we couldn't not mention the scar dance, except I don't quite know how to describe it. It's hilarious, especially because Michael's face is so stern the entire time. He's really focusing on the choreography, I think. Uh-huh. I, I, it's
1: like he gets momentary stage fright.
0: <laughs> yes. When it comes to dancing and everyone behind him is actually kind of having fun and kind of trying. And Michael's just very focused. But it's it's just excellent. And it's weird bad rapping and it, it's it's one of those songs where it tells you the choreography in the words
1: <laughs> well you jump to the right and you right, shake and a you hand shake a hand and you, then you jump to the left and you shake that hand too shake that and then what do you do you meet new friends and you tie some yeah. yarn
0: you tie some yarn and and, and that that's, that's actually ha- how, you... how
1: you do it the card the <laughs> that is that's that's it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, At the bar, when Michael shows up and starts talking to Andy's character, he says, beer me, Billy. So I I guess this was at a point in the Michael-Andy relationship where Andy hadn't completely annoyed Michael to death yet. And he's borrowing Andy's own sort of catchphrase, uh, beer me. So that's interesting that Michael used his catchphrase. And why is Andy the only one in the whole movie to use an accent? Because he's super extra, that's why.
0: He's so extra, and he's so theatrical.
1: (laughs) He's mouthing along with his lines while watching the movie, too. It's like, I took this role so seriously.
0: He still remembers his lines from all those years ago. (laughs) Of course, closing off the film, I love this so much. The narrator is finally revealed to be an old Michael Skarn with gray hair. But he's still voiced over by Stanley. Very... A la How I Met Your Mother, where Mm -hmm. an adult Ted Mosby grows up to be Bob Sagitt. Know what I mean? Like he's still an adult. He will still have his voice. That just makes me laugh every time because he's
1: That was actually time traveling current Steve Carell going back Ah, to -hmm. to film the scene for Threat Level (laughs) Midnight. You know, uh a
0: a beard on him and he looks (laughs) almost the same.
1: (laughs) Michael tells us that the all-star scene was an actual scranton local hockey game and they were trying to qualify for playoffs and michael disqualified them because he showed up in the middle of the game and tried to film his movie on the ice with them so i mean you got to make sacrifices for art i guess but usually those should be self-sacrifices and not sacrifices on behalf of other people (laughs)
0: like a high school hockey team yeah (laughs) uh who apparently had had an undefeated season which is why the stadium was so full they wanted to see them go to state and they got disqualified because of michael
1: Uh, about the movie ryan says you should enter it in festivals he's trying to cheer michael up you should enter it in festivals (laughs) and kevin speaks up and says or carnivals
0: (laughs) or carnivals pam you mentioned earlier is doing that kind of pep talk with everyone okay i know we're excited to see the movie but no laughing, no comments, just positive energy. We'll have a fun day, okay? And Creed looks at her, and says, Thanks, mom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good.
0: It's very, very mom-like of her. Yeah,
1: it is. And I, I love that Creed's the one feeling the mom vibes. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this monologue from Michael earlier in A Talking Head. He says, I am a huge Woody Allen fan, although I've only seen Ants. Yeah. Woody Allen writer, director, producer. Michael's only familiar work. Is Ants, in which he voices a character and does nothing else for the movie. Uh, But, anyways, he says, but I'll tell you something. What I respect about that man is that when he was going through all that stuff that came out in the press, no, not that stuff, the stuff that's actually of concern about how Ants was just a ripoff of A Bug's Life. (laughs) He stayed true (laughs) to his films, or at least the film that I saw, which again was Ants. The thing is, I thought Bug's Life was better, much better than ants the point is don't listen to your critics listen to your fans he is completely skirting over a major issue with woody allen which is the whole sexual assault issue stuff and yeah we don't need to go in depth on that but (laughs) michael is avoiding the actual conflict or probably more likely he's completely unaware of what the actual conflict with woody allen is
0: and if you're going to defend woody allen Pick one of his many reputable films.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like one of his films, not one in which he voices a cartoon (laughs) ant.
0: Voiced a character. Uh, (laughs) Because it could be argued, I mean, his films are notorious. I mean, they're very popular and well-made. And if you're going to defend him, use one of his good films. And not one of his films, that was not one of his films. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I like that one too. Uh, I think maybe the last thing for me is actually film-related. Go listen to the words of the rap that Andy raps at the end during the closing credits uh, of Threat Level Midnight. It's just very Andy. And he dedicated so much of his time to this film. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate that. He was very, very invested.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not going to be wrapping this at the end of the episode.
0: No, definitely not. Don't expect it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, we do get, thankfully, a commentary for this episode. Uh, that's fun. It's got Creed. It's got Craig Robinson, who's Daryl. BJ Novak, who is Ryan, but also he wrote the episode. Charlie Grandy, who's another writer for the series. And then Dave Rogers, who co edited this episode. The very first thing they mention is that in the movie, Clean Up on aisle 5 was Scarn's uh, catchphrase, but they had several optional catchphrases. And one of the other ones was Return to Sender. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a list of some of the other ones.
0: This also should be noted that Steve Carell was the one that pushed for this to be aired. To have this episode written, he remembered that Michael had this film in the works and he thinks or he thought that it needed to be viewed, that it needed to be seen. So we have him to thank, not actually the writers.
1: Craig Robinson was asked to shave his facial hair to make him distinct in time from current Daryl Philbin. But then Craig points out to BJ during the commentary, he says, I've never been seen on the show without my facial hair. And BJ was like, oh. Wish I would have known that because <laughs> he was like trying to sort of make him appear more youthful like he did earlier in the show. But even like from the first time we see him in season one, Daryl has his facial hair. So it was just like this this funny ongoing joke where they were joking about how baby faced Craig Robinson is without his facial hair and how he, he really didn't want to do it, but he did it because he was asked to.
0: And then they might. They were joking they might go in in post and add a mustache back in just to keep it consistent.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, I think Craig mentioned at one point, uh, I I guess it was when he was talking about wanting to appear as the Black president for his daughter, he said the facial hair was drawn on in that scene. And looking at it, it kind of looked like it was.
0: They did pay great attention to detail showing characters in their season one and two, costuming and hair and makeup. It must have been kind of fun to go back to season one or two you know, put on clothes you used to wear before and the the wig you might have worn or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Or in the case of Jim's style, your hair like a mop, like you used to.
0: Right. <laughs> Brush it forward. They did not ask Catherine Zeta-Jones to use her name <laughs> in the show. They just kind of went with it. Because um, they didn't actually say Jones. They said Scarn. So True. But we all know what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: uh, BJ talked about a joke that he wished had been kept in the, the movie was Michael calling Daryl's character President Jackson. Because Michael, he reasoned, would have thought of Jackson as a common black last name, but then wouldn't have realized that there was a previous President Jackson who was very <laughs> racist. The whole Trail of Tears thing yep. with Native Americans? Yep, that that was him. Thank you, President Jackson.
0: <laughs> very white, Ugh. very racist. BJ noted how happy John Krasinski was to be shooting that <laughs> week. He had never seen him so happy as when he was playing Golden Face. He really shined. It was, yeah. In, in his prime. So
1: even though Jim didn't care for the character or the dialogue, it, it appears John Krasinski really, really enjoyed it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> playing Jim, playing <laughs> Uh,
1: They talk about how they tried to have a backstory to explain every appearance in the movie. So yes, they, they sort of dated everybody into previous seasons of the show. But like characters like Tony Gardner, who quit on the very first day, uh, or I guess he was technically fired on his very first day of being at the Scranton branch after coming from Stanford, they reasoned, well, Michael had him come back afterwards. And you think, oh, well, why would he come back if he left on such bad terms? And BJ said, well, you never know when somebody asks you to be in a movie, maybe you'll be more open to it no matter the relationship there. So that was even, even if it's not like a, a super great excuse or a super well thought out reason, it was a reason for Tony to appear in the movie.
0: There was also a lot more with Jan and. In the longer version, in fact, they had the idea that in Michael's original version, it was a love story with Jan, but once they broke up, he had to change the plot. So the uncut version apparently has a lot more with her, and I would be interested to see that. I'm really excited to go watch um, that extended. I I might do that tonight.
1: (sighs) This isn't like a nugget of information or anything, but I thought it was funny. Uh, When they get to the scene at the bar with the Scarn... Craig asks who the kid putting the money in the jukebox is. (laughs) BJ said, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Or I don't even know why he's at a bar. (laughs) Yeah, He's like seven
0: (laughs) and in overalls. And he looks like he should be at Shroot Farms more than anywhere else. Yeah, probably. (laughs) They had some fun adding music to the episode because they don't get to do that a whole lot in this series. So they tried at first doing some professional John Williams scores, but it didn't sound low budget enough. And so then they considered, as you said, all Billy Joel, but they ended up doing kind of a mix. And there still wasn't a ton of music, but way more than we normally get.
1: Just a random thought I had, if it had been an all Billy Joel soundtrack, I would have been really curious to see which songs Michael used. Like, would he stick to radio hits or would he go more deep track? Hmm. (laughs) I don't know.
0: I'm going to say radio hits only because of his skating choice.
1: Yeah, probably. Anyways, (laughs) just that was a random thought the reactions that we see in the conference room to what is happening on the screen were filmed without them knowing what they were reacting to. So for example, the scene where Jim burst out laughing or try, is trying to stifle his giggles at watching the Scarn, he didn't know what he was laughing at while he was filming that scene. He was just reacting to something funny that was happening on the TV. And that's because they filmed the reactions on the first day and then added in the the... Parts of the movie that they were uh, watching in the episode in post,
0: BJ mentioned that he had been told the same thing that Holly told Michael that I love you got to work together with your friends you were productive you finished this project, uh, and that hurt so that's why he wrote <laughs> it in for for Michael to be told the same thing.
1: The last one I have is they they mentioned that there's a scene in the longer version of the film where Jim and Pam are talking together. We hear the audio from it in the episode, but. Uh, Presumably in the longer uncut version of the uh, movie, uh, we actually see the scene where Jim and Pam are talking together and they're kind of flirting with each other on screen, even though Roy is there. And it's sort of one of the reasons why they wanted to see the movie that Michael has made is because it was a flashback to some of the angst and some of the drama of those earlier seasons that everybody was so fond of uh, in building that Pam and Jim relationship.
0: Yeah, that was my last one, too. In fact, we had almost point for point the exact same takeaways from the uh from the commentary yeah. so that's it so my discussion topic for this episode we kind of touched on it but not really um uh, basically regarding michael and the film did holly do the right thing a and should michael have quit believing in his own movie just because holly didn't like it b
1: i think that holly yes i think holly did the right thing i think she needed to be honest i think that in a relationship as seriously as they're trying to take their relationship, they need to be honest with each other. And if that even means, hey, I don't think this movie you think is as good as you think it is, but I still support you. I still am glad that you made it. I'm glad you enjoyed making it. I think that kind of honesty in the relationship is so super important. And I don't think, I don't know if I agree that Michael quit believing in his own movie. I I just think that Michael quit thinking that it was a work of art or thinking that the movie as a work of art was, I think Michael realized that he was putting more into the movie than he really should have when he has somebody like Holly in his life.
0: Hmm. The, his values changed. Yeah. Right.
1: I, I, I think it was just a shift in perspective for him. He he still likes the movie. He's still glad he made the movie. It's just not his dream anymore because Obviously, from what we've seen in this the show, Michael's dream hasn't been Threat Level Midnight. Otherwise, we would have gotten more than the two or three mentions we've gotten in all these episodes so far. Instead, we know his dream is to have a family, to have a wife, to have kids, and he's on that path with Holly right now. And so that perspective shift uh, shows him, yes, that's my dream, not this movie.
0: That makes sense. I definitely agree with the Holly doing the right thing. Honesty is key. I mean... If you don't love it, don't lie. As far as Michael, I think... I only say he stopped believing in his own movie because I don't think after today he will pick it up and work on it again at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's probably true. I think he's done with that, which is okay. But I, I think he got to it in an okay way. It wasn't as though he fell out of love with the process or anything. It was that... I don't know. I... I think you actually just kind of changed my mind that, yeah, Holly is his new priority, is his new dream, Mm -hmm. the prospect of a future with her. So, yeah, I think that's, I think he got reordered in his, in his priorities.
1: I just had a kind of depressing, like, vision in my head of Tangled when (laughs) the whole, you were my new dream.
0: I've never actually seen Tangled. What? I know.
1: It's okay, moving Podcast on. over. Gosh, man. <laughs> I know,
0: bummer. Okay,
1: quick aside. Tangled's like my favorite princess movie, so you should watch it. I mean, aside <laughs> from like Moana, I guess. Moana's really good. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, okay, moving on to Todd Packer, shifting from Disney to uh, a filthy human being. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. This episode, Todd Packer, it aired on February 24th of 2011, was directed by longtime director of photography for the show, Randall Einhorn and was written by Emily Gillette.
0: Todd Packer, Dunder Mifflin's salesman on the road, is ready to settle down and come home back to Scranton. Everyone but Michael and Kevin either hate Packer or very quickly learn to hate Packer. The rest of the day is spent trying to get him out of the office as quickly as he came. Meanwhile, Aaron was surprised with a new computer for reception, and Andy gets jealous and wants one for himself.
1: Michael still has the same weird relationship with Packer that he's had since the beginning, where... He thinks Packer is hilarious, and he's good with women, and he just has nothing but good things to say about him to Holly. And now that Packer has decided, well, maybe not even decided, more been forced, depending on how you look at it, uh, to return to just a desk job rather than traveling around, he has hyped him up to Holly. And Holly, instead of doing a proper interview or asking other people aside from Michael, takes Michael's word for it at face value and hires Todd and is she does come to regret that Michael is pretty pleased but everyone else is pretty pissed off because as I mentioned earlier Todd Packer is a trash person he's an awful person
0: (laughs) yep um in fact it was amazing to me that he was even remotely normal to Holly and for as long as he was he got through the entire interview without making I don't think any lewd comments to her, which is impressive. I think he mm-hmm. makes one comment about her her looks. He calls her Jennifer Aniston, which is not an insult. It's inappropriate, probably for the workplace, but it's it's you know not an insult by any means. And that was really it up until the interview was over, and Holly started to realize for herself that he was inappropriate to say the very least.
1: Yeah, she actually after seeing how awful Packer is, there are a couple of scenes uh, where he shows his true character. She tells Michael, "You know he's not funny at all, despite what you think he's a jerk and she she has a a tier list of funny things, Bill Cosby at the top, whoops, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh Steve Martin, Charlie bit my finger, then Michael Scott, and Packer way lower than the rest and that's sort of insulting to Michael at first because he thought of Packer as funnier than him, and so when she says." I don't think Packer's funny at all. He says, you think I'm less funny than not funny at all? (laughs) And she says, no. And that's when she gives the the tier list. So here it is again. It's the rose-colored glasses that Michael has looking at Packer being shattered. Superficially, these two episodes are the same plot point in regards to what's happening around Threat Level Midnight and then the story with Packer, where Michael has something that he thinks very highly of. Holly sort of convinces him otherwise. Um, and that's not against Holly. That's just Michael sort of being honest with himself, uh, being forced to be honest with himself. And so Michael finally sees Packer's faults and does try to convince him to be kinder, uh, to, to charm and be more charming to the people in the office and tries to get him to apologize. But it just doesn't really go very well.
0: The only person that seems to be really pro-Packer besides Michael and at first Holly is Kevin and Packer's mean to Kevin. All he does in every conversation is insult people, but Kevin is still trying to get along with him, be his friend, get him pizza. Like, it's just, he's just sucking up to him the whole time, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, he tries to play along with Packer's jokes like he enjoys them, even when they're at his expense. Like, the the scene, Holly's witness to this. He says, uh, Packer, you should write a book. Packer says, I didn't even know you could read. Kevin... He's not indignant, but he's like teasing back. Yeah, I, I can read. Hacker says, Oh, sure. You can read a menu. And at this point, Kevin's feelings are hurt, uh, but he does concede. He says, You know, he he's right. I, I could lose some weight. Hmm. And I, I love this. Dwight is really kind to him. And he says, Kevin, in sumo culture, you'd be considered a promising up and comer.
0: Which for Dwight is
1: such <laughs> a compliment. Dwight, he's finding some way to contextualize things, some. New uh, perspective that shows no in certain societies in certain cultures, you as you are right now are valuable.
0: I I put that in my notes as well as just one of the rare moments that Dwight is ever nice to Kevin. We don't get a whole bunch of positive interactions between the two of them, if any interaction at all. But that was a really nice one.
1: After Michael tries to get Packard to apologize, uh, Packard does the whole fake apology thing where he says. Hey, Kevin, I'm sorry if you were offended by my comments earlier. News alert, that's not an apology. That's you saying, I'm sorry that you were offended by something I said. That's not saying, I'm sorry for what I said. But anyways, everybody sees through this apology, and Michael still won't stand for it. He says, Packer will be here until the day he dies, just like the rest of us. Uh, I don't think that sounds too appealing to anybody. Uh, Nobody wants to be at Dunder Mifflin Scranton until the day they die, but... Anyways, that not, not that's not lingered on. And so while all this is happening, Jim and Dwight are making their own plans for getting rid of Packer.
0: So at first, Dwight wants to—Jim thinks poison some hot chocolate for Packer. <laughs> Turns out Dwight just wants to put a bunch of laxatives in some hot chocolate and give it to Packer. Still not acceptable. Jim thinks that they can do better than that. So they finally agree on a prank, which is— Way worse than hot chocolate, let me tell you. They went into the other room. They pretended to be colleagues of Joe's in Tallahassee. And they offered Packer a job in Tallahassee. Michael is insistent when he finds out on telling Packer that this is a prank. So that he doesn't actually fly down to Florida. But right as he's about to do it, Packer starts insulting Holly to Michael. And that is the last straw. He tells Michael that Holly's uptight. And suggests that Michael go down to Florida and meet the local, quote, talent. So at this point, Michael decides, you know what? Go ahead. Go to Florida to a job waiting that does not exist. That was it. He did not want to hear any negative comments about Holly from this guy that just all he does is bad talk people and especially women. And he doesn't want to hear it about Holly.
1: Packer committed the, the cardinal sin around Michael of trying to distance Michael from Holly or Holly from Michael. Jan did the same thing. When, oh, it was for baby shower, I guess, when she said, hey, don't date Holly. And at this point, Michael had already expressed interest in Holly. And so it was by the end of that episode that he asks Holly out. So Michael is one, a person who doesn't like being told not to do something, but two, he's passionate about the people he's passionate about. And so when those two things coincide, especially Michael is all too keen to, to distance himself from that person instead. Uh, so he keeps his mouth shut about, about Florida and goodbye, Todd Packer.
0: That's sort of it on the Packer um, storyline. So now we have a little Pam, Aaron, Andy one. So Pam surprised Aaron with a new computer at reception. The reception computer was awful. Pam should know. So she decided to go ahead and dip into the budget that she's allotted as office admin to get a new reception computer. But upon seeing the new computer, Andy is jealous and wants one, too. Pam tells him that if she got him a new computer, she'd have to get all of sales a new computer because reception is a one-person department. But that's not good enough. Andy um, just spends the whole day trying to convince her otherwise.
1: Erin sees how sort of jealous that Andy is of her computer. Uh, maybe that's not the right way to say it. He She sees how desperate Andy is for a new computer. and. Seeing that Pam isn't going to get him one, she decides to trade her new computer for Andy's old crappy one because, hey, Andy's her friend. She wants him to have a computer that he needs uh, that works well, so why not? Pam, though, is not a fan of this, uh, and she forces Andy in front of everybody to trade the computers back. Uh, he later confronts Pam about it, says, hey, it wasn't cool for you, To humiliate me in front of everybody else. But Pam saw it another way, which is good for her. She said, I didn't want, I wasn't going to let you just walk all over me just because you wanted something. So I'm glad that Pam does stand up for herself, but she also does see Andy's side of things. Uh, She apologizes for humiliating him and gives him a, a little tip, a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I can't get you a new computer unless your old one breaks all the way. And so Andy begins being completely reckless with his computer, allows all pop-ups, plug in, unplug your USB device without properly disconnecting it on the software, spewing coffee all over the keyboard, putting a slice of bologna with mustard on it into the disc tray. Which, I mean, you'd think that if you're replacing a computer due to damage, that like there would be some sort of process where they check what the damage was and what caused it. And if it was something like baloney mustard being shoved into the the disc tray that you wouldn't be given a new computer. But it's it's yeah. it's the office. Who cares? <laughs> I don't care. But uh, that's Andy's solution to the issue.
0: Pam finally agrees to give Andy a new computer, but it's not the fancy Mac that Aaron got. It's a similar version to what they just destroyed on Andy's computer. So she told him that she found it in the warehouse. That's what I could get. Sorry, man. You want a new computer? You got one. Daryl approaches Pam because he heard that she got it from the warehouse. And he says, you know what? I know every inch of the warehouse. There wasn't a spare computer down there, which maybe I'm being dense, but I don't understand where she got it then, you know?
1: Well, that's that's the joke. So the, the thing is, they actually, she did get Andy a new computer. It's just not the same kind of new computer that Aaron got. Right. And so when they're in the parking lot in the car scratching it up, it's to make it look like an older used computer so that nobody else gets too jealous of it.
0: Mm. Oh, I got you, I
1: got you. Yeah, and so when they show up upstairs with the computer and they have that whole skit where Andy's pretending, oh, well, this this heap of junk, blah, 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 blah. Why
0: did I never get that? I always thought he was being serious. Okay, wow, it took me several (laughs) watches of the series
1: to get that. (laughs) Yeah, Andy did get an actual brand new computer, but they're just trying to disguise it as not that. And that's why Daryl sort of holds it over her head I, yeah. I think I saw some sick days down in the warehouse as well.
0: I thought yeah. they were still beating up his first computer. That's no. why. Okay.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, you can see the, the brand new computer box sitting outside the dumpster.
0: Oh, yep. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Attention to detail. Yeah. So they negotiate. Uh, Daryl thinks he saw five sick days down in the warehouse. Pam <sighs> agrees. Okay. Maybe maybe I saw three. And so they they agreed that they found some in the warehouse.
1: Pam says, I'm full on corrupt. (laughs) She's having fun taking risks and sort of cheating the system a little bit.
0: So the cold open, moving into funny moments. Dwight is inhaling a can of something. It turns out later that they're eight-year-old tomatoes from a can, uh, while everyone watches in disgust. There's then a Dwight talking head explaining that he has one of the best or the best survival stock shelter in in Northeast Pennsylvania. Everything's about to expire, though, so he must eat and replace everything in the shelter. At least, it's nice not to have to plan his meals, he says. Because his co-workers are making fun of him, though, Dwight threatens not to let them into a shelter during the apocalypse or when the wolves are approaching them and their torch is dying. He says that Kevin will be eaten, Pam will be taken slave, Jim will be taken as a warlord's jester, Meredith will do okay. This day will come, he says, it's just a matter of time. It could be one month. It could be two months. <laughs> Jim asks, "Could it be three Dwight says, "Yeah, could be four. Could five? Sure." And they keep going until <laughs> everyone has left the room, and we cut away at at four hundred and ninety five months. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the progression there, and I love that Dwight is still so open to considering. Yeah, I see that as a possibility. Four hundred ninety five months. I mean, what is? That? I I haven't done the math. Months, two years. That is 41 years. <laughs> Could be. When Packerfer shows up, and Michael is very excited for this interview to happen with Holly so that he can be officially hired at the Scranton branch, uh, Michael says to Holly, just so you know, he's at his funniest when you've given him five shots. And also, it helps if you've had five shots. <laughs> and uh, Holly jokes, I already have. But, you know, maybe if a person doesn't get funny until you've had five shots... They're not funny.
0: Yeah, probably Maybe. Jim and Dwight are brainstorming ideas on how to mess with Packer. Most or all of Dwight's ideas, like I said, have to do with hot chocolate. And Jim suggests jamming his desk drawers (laughs) to only open two inches. Dwight says that that wouldn't annoy anyone. Jim says, okay, well, this isn't my best, but how about we call Froggy 101, which is the radio station, say that we're the tour manager for Justin Bieber and we're giving away free tickets. We give them a number to call for tickets and it's Packer's number. Dwight says, Who is Justice Beaver? Jim barely takes a beat. He says, He's, it's a crime fighting beaver, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to eventually mess with Dwight, Jim then jams Dwight's drawers to be two inches open so that Dwight can't get to anything. And sure enough, it is annoying.
1: It's very annoying. Yeah. Uh, after Packers says something to Hank about being a 76ers fan, and it makes Hank smile, uh, it's kind of a nice thing to say. or it's camaraderie michael says see you made hank smile that doesn't happen often you're very charming that is something that you should take upstairs and use on the people that really matter hank doesn't smile anymore
0: (laughs) (laughs) there was this little one-liner from ryan actually uh holly is being accosted by people trying to get her to fire packer she says okay look we can't fire someone just because we don't like him ryan says right this isn't the u.s government Kelly, just full-on dead pan says, what are you referencing? She just calls him out. Ryan says, uh, everything, everything. I'm referencing everything. <laughs> <laughs> he has no idea. He's just trying to sound like he knows what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, he's trying to, to sound like he's, like, fight the power. You know, <laughs> like, against the man. When they complain to Holly, they are trying to come up with actual excuses to get Packer fired. She says, I need, like, actual evidence. You can't just fire because uh, you don't like him. Jim says, well, I mean, he humped Michael. And Holly responds with, well, if that's the case, I guess I've got to be fired, too. Oh. They all groan. No, stop not gross. Ew.
0: Andy put up a mod schedule in the conference room or on the conference room door, which are five minutes, lots of privacy in the conference room. And people started really renting it out. Ryan had a band come in, and they're going to have a jam session in Mod 6, 9, and 12, which sounds really annoying that they're not concurrent slots. But um, I just thought that it was interesting and kind of funny that they all just went for it. And who is this band? And why are they coming in for 15 spread-out minutes of jam session?
1: He's carrying a saxophone. Do you think Ryan can play the saxophone?
0: I want to say no.
1: <laughs> I want to say no. And
0: that he's just trying <laughs> you know he wants to look like you can play the saxophone
1: and there were other people signed up on the mod schedule as well phyllis signed up for a time for knitting circle keep in mind these are five minute and like five minute slots and she signed up for one for knitting circle uh Angela signed up for a time for a, quote conference call and then kevin signed up for a time for nap <laughs> yeah yeah but again five minutes those, those are all really short When Dwight is forced to move to the Annex uh, so that Packer can have his desk, he is setting up his stuff and he finds the Annex Zen Garden. He says, whose dirt box is this? (laughs) And Holly says, oh, that's our Zen Garden. Dwight responds with, what do you grow in here, (laughs) bullcrap? And he dumps it into the trash can like, I I don't have time for this.
0: (laughs) Just sand in a box. Dwight and Jim, like I said, were collaborating on trying to prank Packer and Dwight suggests that Jim email Dwight 40 of his best ideas. Jim says, yeah, absolutely, I'll, I'll email you 100. Dwight kind of mockingly says, yeah, yeah, write up your list of 100, edit it down to your top 40, and then email it to me, and I'll read it over. So Jim, of <laughs> course, emails Dwight 400 ideas, all of which Dwight really likes, <laughs> unless I misread that and he was joking. He seemed to actually really like them. He goes, e- eat a frog, that's funny. Eat a dog, difficult but funny. Eat a brog, I don't actually understand that one. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's seemingly very into all of these ideas. Pretty great.
1: And then when they they actually enact one of the plans, which is the the convincing him him that he's moving to Florida thing, Dwight is really proud of that plan. Dwight says, it wasn't my first choice. Jim had so many better ideas. But that conversation itself is really funny too. Uh, They're both using fake Southern accents, and Dwight has a focus on one particular thing. Uh, The conversation goes like this. Jim says, Absolutely. Now, when you get down there, Joe's a little bit uh, forgetful, so she may have locked the gate, but what you're going to do is go ahead, hop it, and just head back to the pool. And Todd says, That sounds weird. Jim says, It is weird. Look at you, perceptive. Now I know why. Joe's kept her eye on you. (laughs) And then Dwight jumps in with a worse Southern accent. He says, And you make sure to get down there and check out that Harry Potter world. Harry Potter world is supposed to be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And that goes on after Todd's talking head, explaining the situation. So I says, check it out and have a free butterbeer on us. Keep the receipt and we'll get you back.
0: (laughs) Which is just yet. It's just a tiny prank on top of this massive prank. Like you're not going to get your butterbeer money back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. I just love that his focus Jim is like actually trying to like flesh out this this thing, and Dwight's just like, also Harry Potter world. While you're down there, might as well have some fun.
0: <laughs> when Michael is is mad at Jim and Dwight for trying to send Packer to Florida, I like that when he asks why, Jim says he's a jerk. Dwight says he took my desk,
1: <laughs>
0: like that's a good enough reason to uh <laughs> send him to Florida. Uh, which was interesting that Michael sided with with Packer enough to send Dwight currently has this desk back to the annex just because Packer used to be there. But anyway, he is, as Michael says, his oldest friend.
1: Mm -hmm. And there is a funny joke where Dwight says, I've been at this desk for 10 years. And Packer responds, well, I was at that desk for 12 years. My name is on the, is written on it on the bottom. And so they check and sure enough, it says so on the bottom of the desk, Uh, it says, there it is. Packer was here. And so was your mom. So Packer wasn't lying. His name was carved on the desk. And uh, at the end of the episode, when Packer is gone and Dwight is reclaiming his desk, he leaps under and starts carving in his name himself so that next time there won't be any argument. Dwight's name is on the desk now.
0: I think one of my last ones is uh, a- another Andy one when they are banging up the computer. and he says, no, 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 no. We can just say that the previous owner was a neat freak. He, he doesn't want to bang up this, this new computer. Oh, and it makes so much more sense now. Or an elegant old lady, and she just kept it around in her case, and and her grandkids came to visit, but they died, and they never came. I'm going to make myself cry. <laughs> he just, he's such the type to create these vivid backstories, and he's he's a lot like Michael in that way, I think, where they just characterize everything in their lives and make these big dramas out of that, and I just thought it was funny that he did that with this computer, just to make sense of it all.
1: That last thing I said about Dwight carving his name on the desk was actually a deleted scene, so... Mm, uh, th- if right. you, if that sounded unfamiliar, it's because it was, unless you've seen the deleted <laughs> scenes. Uh, but just a couple more funny moments from me. Uh, Pam is proud at the beginning of the episode that she has helped Aaron out and has, uh, gotten her a new computer. She goes over to Jim, sort of like goes back and forth on her toes. She's in a good mood. And she says, Hey, I just helped someone out. It feels good. Jim says, nice, you know, I cleaned our daughter for like an hour at 4 a.m. this morning. So, and Pam cuts him off before he can try and ask for anything from it. He, she says, so you know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one, after Holly has approved Packer's hire at the Scranton branch as a permanent installment, uh, Jim and Dwight alternately, a couple of times, ask, you approve this? And Kevin, who, as you mentioned earlier, is into the idea, at least at first, of Packer being back, gets upset with him. He says, what don't you understand about the word approved? It seems some of you don't know what the word approved means. And then he has a talking head. He says, I have very little patience for stupidity. (laughs) I'm so glad you have so little patience for stupidity, Kevin.
0: Of all the people. (laughs) So no commentary for this episode, but we got some deleted scenes uh aaron is admiring her new computer she says you can have two applications open at once it's not hot she has all this room by her feet now then she has talking head she doesn't want to say her last computer was bad because she was very very grateful for it but it was usually quicker to drive to the library do her computer stuff there and then drive back (laughs) so yeah it was old
1: (laughs) Uh, michael is telling packer you know you'll love holly packer says you know i hope that she just likes me." Because I'm tired of being on the road. I don't know if my butt skin can take another four-hour ride to Binghamton. Michael says, your butt skin is in my hands now. Welcome home. (laughs) Think about what you say for just like a second longer, Michael. Just a little bit. A little bit.
0: Packer has a talking head. He says sometimes he'd wake up and he would not know what what state he was in. New York or Pennsylvania. New York or, or Pennsylvania. The not knowing, he says, the back and forth. He acts like it was so traumatizing to bounce between these two states and sell on the road. Like, people travel for work all the time. (laughs) New York and Pennsylvania are quite close.
1: There's an extended interview between Holly and Packer. Uh, He says, you know, I like listening to music on the road. I like John Cougar Mellencamp. He likes to sing about his hometowns a lot. And Scranton is my hometown. And this branch is my little pink house, which is a reference to the Mellencamp song, Pink Houses. Uh, but it's just like this silly little thing. I, I don't believe for a split second that Todd Packer is a fan of John Cougar Mellencamp.
0: No. I accidentally referenced a deleted scene earlier as well about <laughs> Kevin trying to give him pizza. Um, This was a deleted scene. Kevin walks in on Dwight and Holly sharing a pizza, and Kevin asks if there are any leftovers. Dwight interrupts him. There won't be. They got a medium. Kevin says he doesn't want leftovers, but if there are any, he wants to give them to Packer. But if Packer doesn't want them, Kevin will take them.
1: <laughs> yeah, just to have it. Just to happen. <laughs> they are preparing the computer in the parking lot, scuffing it up, um, and Andy and Pam are sitting in the backseat of the car together. Andy says, Backseat reminds me of high school. Pam says, Andy, gross. And Andy completes his thought, riding around, going to the zoo, piling out. And that was just one time, I guess. <laughs> so he he didn't mean anything sexual by it, even though it sounded like it at first, but he was really just thinking of, one specific memory, only one memory of riding in the backseat of the car with his friends from high school.
0: <laughs> Happened to be in high school. Because I
1: guess he didn't have that many yeah. or didn't do things with friends. I don't know.
0: Michael tells Holly that it's important to him that she likes Packer and she argues that she doesn't have to like all of his friends. For instance, Michael doesn't like her friend Lois. And then Michael has talking head. Lois is disgusting. She thinks she's better than everyone else. <laughs> he doesn't like that he's not allowed to pet her seeing eye dog. He says, well, he wants me to. Well, he has a job to do. He's working. Well, you were just sitting down. Well, I'm asking you nicely. Well, I'm asking you nicely. I wish you (laughs) wouldn't. I want to pet your dog. Michael suggests that she get a cane instead of a dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd you'd think he'd have a reasonable excuse for not liking this person.
0: Yeah, but not petting a service dog is, is his reason. Holly then says that it's not just her. Everyone in the office wants him gone. Michael says that there are people who are a little indifferent to him. Holly argues that they hate Packer. They're indifferent to Gabe. (laughs) Holly suggests that there's only one good thing to do. And I think this is so cute. I laughed for a while on this. She goes, Michael, there's only one good thing to do. Michael quietly says, be myself. (laughs) Holly says, get Packer out of the office. But you should always be yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I also really liked in that deleted scene when Michael asks, who has a problem with Packer? And she says, without naming names, everyone. <laughs> everyone. The very last deleted scene is the one I uh, accidentally alluded to just a few minutes ago. Packer is gone, and Michael comes out to the empty desk now, and he says, you know what? should we do with this empty desk? And Jim says, how about, listen to this, how about we leave it empty? That, you know, if we only had my desk and Pam's desk here, that would decrease distraction, would increase productivity. Plus, you, Michael, would have more performance space in the office. You could even set up some lighting if you wanted to. And Michael seems to be considering it for a second. This sounds nice. Until Dwight walks up and says, my desk. And Michael's like, oh, yeah, you can have it back, I guess. And Jim is bummed. And Pam comforts him and says, I warned you not to believe that it could happen. And meanwhile, Dwight is under the desk with a giant knife and is carving his name under the desk. So that doesn't happen again in the future. (sighs)
0: All right. Our discussion topic for this episode.
1: Do you think Michael is losing part of who he is because of the changes he's making for Holly, i.e. his friendship with Packer, his attitudes towards threat level midnight? So it's sort of a discussion topic that spans both of the episodes we've talked about today.
0: Is he losing part of who he is? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would put it that way. I think when you are starting to merge a life with someone, you kind of. A, adopt some of their mentalities and some of their preferences, and B, I think it's important to him, like, he, he values Holly over Threat Woman Night or over Todd Packer. And I, I think it's sort of what we said before, that he's just reorganizing his priorities. Does that mean he's losing part of himself? Maybe, but only, I think, in good ways, because they're a good fit. I think it's a healthy losing, if that makes sense. You change... I mean, this is getting deep, but (laughs) you change when you're in a relationship, no matter what, or at least you should be if it's growing. It's only when these changes are negative, I think that it's a bad thing. But I think everyone would agree that, you know, Packer isn't the best influence. So people say, oh, they're changing you. Well, yeah, that's how that works, you know? Right. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, they're supposed to be compromised. And I would agree with you. I think that, yes, Michael is losing part of who he is but I would say that the parts that he is losing are parts that maybe he should have lost a long time ago. yeah, uh, His infatuation with Packer should have been gone a long time ago. His desire and passion for Threat Level Midnight, maybe not necessarily, but again, it was a restructuring of priorities for him. What do I value more? This movie that, yes, I've been working on for a long time, or this person who I'm starting to consider I want to spend the rest of my life with? Or not even starting to consider. Michael's been considering spending his life with Holly for a long time. So, yeah, I think he's losing something, but I think it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, awesome. Now, we didn't have any voicemails this week, but we did get a couple of questions from Michael on Facebook. You want to read the first one?
1: Sure. This is a fun question. If we were forced to recast a character from the show, who would it be? So somebody in the main cast, probably, is there anybody who, let, let's say... What's a character you would like to have seen another actor's take on?
0: I, th- this is a really hard question for me. Not because I don't like the actor. And I think this is a... It's going to sound like I'm not telling the truth. Because some people find this actor... He makes them uncomfortable. But I would like to see Gabe played by someone different. Just to kind of see what that would look like. Mm-hmm. I I know he's not one of the main crew but I think that would be interesting. Uh, perhaps also Phyllis. I would like to see a different take on Phyllis. Not that I don't think she's well cast. I just, I think if you put a different person in that role, it would be a whole different character. You know what I mean?
1: hmm I think I would maybe go with the uh, Patton Oswalt as Dwight. Again, not that I don't like Rain Wilson, but I, I think he actually did interview for the role or audition for the role maybe that sounds, that sounds right. right but maybe maybe that's not right I don't know I'm looking online real quick and I'm not sure if I'm actually seeing like pictures of him but anyways I think it'd be funny because he, he's he got the same sort of dorkiness to him uh and the glasses and that kind of thing could work but I think he would highlight more of the nerdy sides of the character I, I think that would be really fun to see Patton Oswald. Uh, as, a, as a nerdier version of Dwight. Because a lot of times you see Patton Oswalt and stuff like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or other things he's been in where he just plays a really dorky, nerdy character. Uh, but even in real life, Patton Oswalt's just a dorky, nerdy guy. And I, I think it'd be fun to see him in that kind of role.
0: I also always like the idea, and I love John Krasinski. I mean, maybe in love with John Krasinski, who isn't, but...
1: <laughs> Don't tell Nathan.
0: Nah, eh, he knows, it's okay. But... Adam Scott, I think, would make a really good Jim as well. Interesting. He, I believe, did audition as well for for the role of Jim. Now, the other question was from Michael. He says, not so much a question, but an observation. He's a professor, and he's always amazed at how his students know so much about the show. He plays clips of it in class. I love that. He says, even in freshman-level classes, they love it. This means that they would have had to watch it when they were in their mid-teens. It seems like a rather boring show for a 15-year-old to watch. I mean that's kind of the joke about the show is that how it's just a show about a boring workplace. Thoughts.
1: I mean people like the characters and that's why they that's what they find joy in in watching the show. Yeah, it's it's funny, it's a comedy, but ultimately people don't always necessarily remember the jokes. They remember the office for the Pam and Jim relationship. They remember the office for Michael's antics and his interactions with his employees and his romance with Holly and stuff like that. And I mean, there's other things that it's remembered for that we're not going to spoil just for those few who are listening who haven't seen the show before. But there's so much more to the show than just the comedy. We stay because we like the characters and we care about the characters. It first started airing when we were in middle school and continued airing all the way until we were in college. And I didn't watch it until I was in college, but I remember it being talked about among my peers. So it's just that kind of show that has characters that you care about. And because of that, that's why it has its staying power. And that's why it's so popular with so many people.
0: And I would venture to guess that a lot of these freshmen didn't necessarily start watching it when it started airing. You know, they they probably started or like they Netflixed it and binged it or something, mm-hmm. which I don't think that a lot of it would go over teens heads. Some of the references, yes, but that's true of a lot of TV. And I'm going to say older TV. This is not old TV, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, any tv show runs that risk of, of talking about pop culture and having it go over someone's head but i i don't think a lot of the comedy would go over even 15 year olds heads so so i'm gonna have to disagree that it would be boring for 15 year olds although it is just a show about a boring workplace it's it's relationship based as you said
1: so thank you michael we it was nice getting those messages from you today and i'm glad we were able to include your questions in the show
0: And that is the end of the official 77th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to leave us an email, you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. We do have a voicemail line for the show. The number is 93 Day. That is 937-738-9329. Have your voicemail be heard on the show. Leave us a question and leave it under about a minute. If you would not like your voicemail to be heard, please also mention that in in your voicemail, and we will not play it if you don't care for that. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white.
1: The best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at the Podcast.com. Show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And we would like to shout out and thank our new Patreon supporter, David. If you would like a shout out and more of An American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker for the show, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplacepod.
0: And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 77 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 78 for our discussion on the next episode of season 7, Garage Sale. Goodbye.
1: Todd Packer aired on February 24th of 2017, was directed by longtime director of photography for the show. Did I, what did I say?
0: 2017.
1: Oh, why did I say that? Because <laughs> it was oh. two
0: years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Aw, <laughs> uh, yeah. Threat level midnight. Makes the girls feel all right. From Madonna to Madeline all right. Threat level midnight. Midnight, it's a threat, a level, a oh, level, don't level don't threat. T- He's <laughs> the greatest heartache star i have ever seen yet. Threat level what? Midnight. Threat level who? Michael, Michael Scarn. Threat. threat level why? Apartheid. Gotta fight it. Free Mandela. Peace. I'm out.
0: <laughs> Yay.
1: <laughs> okay, we can to stop
0: now. <laughs>